You're listening to the Fertility Docs Uncensored Podcast, featuring insight on all things fertility from some of the top-rated doctors around America. Whether you're struggling to conceive or just planning for your future family, we're here to guide you every step of the way. Hello, this is Dr. Carrie Bedient from the Fertility Center of Las Vegas, here with you with another episode of Fertility Docs Uncensored. And I am joined by my two sparkling and delightful co-hosts, Dr. Susan Hudson from Texas Fertility Center. Hello. And Dr. Abby Edler. <laughs> Abby, I'm sorry, I'm messing up your name. It's the theme of the night. That's okay. You know my name. <laughs> Dr. Abby Eblin from Nashville Fertility Center. Hey, everybody. And today we are joined once again with Dr. Lisa Grant, who is going to be talking to us a little bit later about herbal medicine and some of the the Eastern approaches to fertility treatment. But Lisa, I see all the time that you are hiking in these gorgeous places and you have some phenomenal pictures up on your Facebook page. And so what is your experience hiking like? Like, do you have any crazy stories or things that you have encountered while out on the trails? So, well, first of all, hiking is my happy place. And the desert Southwest is actually a really pretty place to go hiking, not in, you know, July and August, but, um, (laughs) but, you know, during the spring, fall and and winter, it's, it's just gorgeous. Probably my most random hiking story is a few years ago, my brother and I went out to Grand Staircase Escalante National Park, and we went out this dirt road. It was 25 miles of dirt. I will never not rent a car again if I'm going to do something like that. I didn't realize my Prius handled it, but my poor baby was not happy. Did you have a cell phone and cell phone coverage? No, (laughs) that actually is an important part of the story. (laughs) Yeah, it was. And we got out there and there was a slot canyon there. I'd never hiked a slot canyon. It was amazing. It was gorgeous. But we did a small hike and then we went into the slot canyon and we didn't realize it was as long as it was going to be. So we get out of the slot canyon after having this amazing experience and the sun is starting to go down. Abby, do you know what a slot canyon is? No, I have no idea. (laughs) We don't have those in Tennessee. Imagine a really narrow canyon, but it's not so deep that you can't see the sky from it. Like it's, but so it's a narrow canyon you can walk through. Okay. And it's amazing because you get these twists and turns and you can see that usually it's out of sandstone. And so you get all the different colors of the sandstone. It's beautiful. When we're saying narrow, how narrow is narrow? I mean, you could pass through it with your shoulders. That sounds like going caving in Tennessee. That We have sort of those things underground. Caves are covered all around. A slot canyon. You can see light. <laughs> yeah. There were a couple places where we had to take the backpack off because we had to kind of mini scramble over things, but nothing crazy. Okay. And it was an amazing. And we, we get out and it's probably about a half an hour or so before the sun sets. And we have no idea where we are none. Oh, and because the little paper map that we brought didn't tell us how to orient it. So we had no idea where the parking lot was. So it was like, okay, well, we don't want to go back through the slot Canyon because it's going to be dark. And there were places where we had to scramble to get up and over. And we don't think we're going to be able to see anything. And it's also, it took us an hour and a half to get through the slot Canyon. And I don't want to spend an hour in the dark. I'm like, that's not happening. So we just sort of moved the map around a little bit and went, well, that looks right. So we're walking along and I'm like, this doesn't look right. And I'm starting to panic and our cell phones, no Google maps. And I had not discovered all trails at that point. So I did not know where we were. And I was really starting to get a little panicky, a little anxious. My brother, unfortunately, was calming me down. 
And then over in the distance, we see these two people who we'd actually run into on a previous trail earlier in the day. And they're like booking it, you know, because they're super fit. And we're like, hey, help, help. Over to where we were. And we're like, we don't know where we are. Can we follow you? And they're like, sure, no problem. And it was a little hard keeping up with them because they were very young and very fit. But they got us out of there and we were safe and sound. And we got into the car and closed the doors. And I was like, oh, my God, we suck at orienteering. <laughs> and my brother's like, yeah, we really do. That's a scout badge, actually. I know I've done orienteering before. It's not easy. So we now use all trails. We have some sort of doodad or gadget that can make sure that we know where it is that we're going. How far were you actually from where your car was? We were probably about half a mile to three quarters of a mile away. And because it was hilly and rolly enough, you can't see anything. Oh, wow. That that would be scary. You can't tell what's where. You can't tell what's where. Yeah. So it was super scary, but it was gorgeous. I would go back. I just would make sure I knew how to get home. <laughs> and start earlier in the day. <laughs> yeah. All right. So Susan, what's our question of the day? Okay. Our question of the day is... Hi there. Thanks for taking questions. I did an egg retrieval and frozen embryo transfer when I was 29. I'm currently 31. We got 15 eggs, six well-graded embryos that were genetically tested and all normal. They were all boys. None of them stuck. My wife and I both tried. I know I can carry a pregnancy as I was pregnant with my wife's embryo and carried a healthy baby girl full term. With unexplained infertility, does the fact that the embryos were all the same sex indicate a problem? If so, what treatments, next steps might be helpful? Many thanks. That's a new one. Six embryos and none of them were. Wow. Yeah. It wasn't because of the gender, though. No, not at all. The fact that her wife's embryo, she carried it to term. But, you know, sometimes people have just, they just have a bad cycle. We've all had those people who have created embryos. They didn't stick. And then you do a new IVF cycle, you change something up or just do the same thing. And you end up with a better cohort, even though they look the same in the dish, there's something obviously different. Yeah. And I agree. One thing though, I would look at is like, this would be a situation where I might do like a receptiva biopsy to see if there's an, and I know you don't necessarily always do that, but I would think about doing something like that because it just makes me feel like there's something in her uterus that shouldn't be there or there's something that should be there that's not. Make sure she doesn't have chronic endometritis. I mean, that's something that can develop over time. Or even some type of retained products from her prior pregnancy that are not huge, but they're big enough to be causing inflammation or just a, a physical obstruction of some sort. Might be worth doing, at least doing a hysteroscopy for sure. Even though you've probably had a saline ultrasound and people who have had failed embryo transfers, 30% of people have something that isn't visible on saline ultrasound that can get fixed with the hysteroscope. Well, and even a tubal assessment too, because you know if the tubes are blocked, that can decrease receptivity as well. So if she's not had a HSG lately or a tubal assessment lately, I think it'd be worth doing that. Make sure she didn't have a hydro. Yeah. All right. So today we are going to talk with Lisa about herbal medicine and how it relates to infertility treatment and how it relates to IVF in particular. So Lisa, the herbal medicines that you use are totally different than anything that we approach. And our medications in general are talking about how do you 
augment the natural system? How do you increase FSH with something like Clomid um, or Letrozole? And then how do you replace it, which is Folistim, Gonolef, Menopure, those types of things. And how do you suppress it when you don't want it? And all of those types of things or, or a direct replacement of estrogen and progesterone. So that's our general class of meds. But how do you approach your herbal medications when someone is trying to improve their fertility, but not in the middle of an IVF cycle? Our herbs, remember in Chinese medicine, we focus on the whole person and we are trying to help improve and bring the whole person into balance. And so what the herbs do is they act like mini acupuncture treatments twice a day when patients take them so that they're constantly getting the push into the right direction so they're in balance. And the kind of herbs that I would prescribe to somebody would depend on what it is that their underlying imbalance is according to Chinese medicine. So if somebody is what we call blood deficient, now it's really obvious when somebody in like Western medicine is blood deficient because you do a CBC and they're like anemic. Okay. But in Chinese medicine, we tend to see blood deficiency before it would hit that level. One of the things that I ask about to see if someone is blood deficient is how much bleeding do they have during their period? No CTs, no MRIs, no blood tests. So, <laughs> so what we do is we look for the clues and the signs that the body is giving us for where there might be an imbalance. And if I have somebody who's coming in, I'm generally happy with three to five really good days of bleeding. So if I have a woman coming in, I don't care what age she is, but if she's like getting less than three days of good bleeding, or she has five days of bleeding, but it's like really scanty. She's blood deficient in terms of Chinese medicine. And the herbs that I will give her will help build blood. That's always hand in hand with nutritional advice, because if I've got somebody who's not eating the sorts of things they need to eat and help in order to give their body the nutrients they need to build the blood, just my herbs alone, I don't feel it's sufficient. So it's a two-pronged approach, but the herbs are always compounded and we never give just one herb right? Y'all give one medication to do one thing. We complex the herbs into a formula that addresses whatever it is that's going on. And if I have someone who has several different issues happening, then I'll have herbs that deal with like the blood deficiency or someone who can have blood deficiency and blood stasis. That would be a woman, for example, who doesn't have very much blood flow or her uterus is really, really cold, but she also has clots in her cycle. And so I want good, fresh blood flow. It needs to be red. It shouldn't be very clotty because clots indicate to me that the blood flow to her uterus isn't great. So then she might get a formula that has both blood building herbs and also herbs that help thin out blood flow so that she's getting a nice, fresh, good blood flow. So whatever herbs I give, it depends on what the problem is. Give us an example. Kind of what, what kind of herbs do you prescribe? Like probably not like basil and oregano, right? What, what kind of <laughs> no, these are these are Chinese medicine herbs. And I can tell you the classic formula for you know helping tonify blood has Shu Di Huang, Dong Guai, Bai Shao, and Chuan Shuang in it. And I could give you the Western names of those herbs and you still wouldn't know what they are because these are <laughs> these are all these are all herbs that are native to China and East Asia. Huh. And you know, we have a materia medica. So, you know, back before doctors had medications, y'all only used herbs too, early, right? you know, like way, 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 way back when. Yeah, digitalis, that's an herb. Exactly. Lobar. Aspirin, exactly. Yeah. So it's the same sort of thing. And we have this compendium of herbs. The thing is like, you know, six to 700 pages long. And we learn in school which herbs we use 
both in a formula. So we have our classic formulas, but also we learn about the individual herbs in case we want to modify the formula to fit the profile of the person that needs the herbs. So there's two ways to do this. There are what's called patent formulas, which are like these little black pills. And some acupuncturists just use the patent formulas and don't mix and match. I use granules, powdered herbs, because I like mixing and matching. Some acupuncturists use the honest to goodness, like leaves and twigs and bark and roots and berries. It's just what your comfort level is and and what you want to do. I always make sure that the formula, they know what is in the formula that they're taking. I don't know that it does them any good or that it would do a reproductive endocrinologist any good because you're not going to be familiar with what the herbs are actually doing. My only concern would be bleeding at surgery because patients will take a lot of supplements over the counter. That's the biggest thing I would be concerned about if somebody was on something that would make them bleed if we're going to operate on them. And that would be the sort of thing where, you know, if they're taking herbs and they're going to do surgery, hopefully they have enough communication with us to say, hey, I'm going to be doing surgery. Mm -hmm. And I will say, okay, stop the fish oil, stop the turmeric and oh, don't take this formula. I think in general, it's a good idea to stop most herbs before surgery just because we don't know how people are going to react. I think that's one of the hardest things as a reproductive endocrinologist. Like I mentioned previously, I did acupuncture when I went through IVF. I did, you know, the herb stuff and all that kind of stuff in preparation. But I have patients come to me and they will bring me this list of Chinese herbs and be like, is this safe? I don't want to say it's an unfair question, but I'm not prepared to answer that. Yeah. So the rule really ought to be, you should only be taking herbs if you're working with an acupuncturist who's prescribing them and who's following you. I do not like the fact that patients, women can go on Amazon and buy some of this stuff because, you know, look, arsenic is a natural substance. Yeah. Just because it's natural does not mean it's a good idea. Exactly. And it's really important that any woman who is on herbs is doing it under the supervision of an acupuncturist who is also an herbalist who knows what they're doing because giving the wrong herbs to them is not benign. It could make things worse. So if I have a woman who has what we call blood stasis, which basically, you know, is like sticky blood and she goes out and for whatever reason, she winds up on a formula that actually continues to stop bleeding. She's going to wind up with more blood stasis. That would be really, really bad. It's also just counterproductive. So herbs are not safe if you don't know what you're doing and you need to be under the care of a licensed practitioner who knows how to prescribe it and knows how to treat the condition you have, because it's not like a cold remedy where, I mean, basically, I mean, more or less a cold is a cold is a cold, right? But there are like five main categories of various fertility issues that we have in Chinese medicine. And if you're not taking the right herbs, it's not going to help. It might actually hurt. So you need to know what you're doing. So you get the right formula. So the answer to that is, No. Are you working with an acupuncturist who's prescribed these to you? And did you talk to them about what's in this? And did they do like a complete intake? That's one of the reasons that I would suggest that if you have the option of working with an ABORM certified acupuncturist, because they have gotten training in how to what the intersection between Eastern and Western medicine around fertility. And your airborne certified practitioner should be able to help you like figure out what, what herbs, when you should take them, all that sort of thing. If not airborne certified, then it needs to be somebody who really works with fertility and they work with herbs enough that they have a really good working knowledge of how to make this, you know, what should be good for your patient. So do acupuncturists who just do like non-fertility acupuncture for like, I don't want to say normal people, but like everybody else, do they use herbs? Yes. Our 
degrees basically are like getting a, an MD. Okay. Anybody who has gone through acupuncture school is the equivalent of a Chinese medicine MD. We haven't specialized. People tend to specialize once they get in practice. Some people, some schools, they can start to get some additional training when they're in school in a specific area. But we use, we learn how to use the herbs generally for lots of different conditions. The flip side is also true. Not all A-born practitioners and not all fertility practitioners use herbs. You only use them if you're comfortable with the tool. And there are places where you cannot use herbs. I don't think there are any states left, but it used to be that herbs were not allowed in certain states. Oh, And there are, and there are countries where the herbs are not allowed. Hmm. So it just also depends on the licensure that you have for the state that you're in. So, you know, I use both. It is a requirement in the state of Nevada that you actually have your boards, your general boards in acupuncture and oriental herbs, and then the additional training that I got in terms of acupuncture and fertility and herbs of fertility. So the herbs that you take, you take them based on what the diagnosis is because it's supposed to help resolve the thing that is causing the infertility. So how long do you need to be on them in order to see an effect? Three months. That three-month timeline is really important because you know, it takes 90 days to develop a healthy egg. So when you've got somebody who's on herbs the whole 90 day, you're giving the egg that shows up at the end of the 90 days has gotten more or less the full impact of all of the imbalance resolution. It's just like what we tell people about making new sperm. Yeah. It takes 70 days to make new sperm. So any medication you start at the beginning of that 70 days, any herbs, any diet changes, any lifestyle change you do, you're going to have more impact the longer you go with it. So would I put somebody on herbs for a month before, if they came in just a month before IVF or retrieval or whatever? Sure. Yeah. You know, do I have patients that after a month they get pregnant naturally? Yeah, absolutely. It just, it's so it depends, but the maximum impact is 90 days. Then we know that we've gotten the full benefit. So when you have a patient with a Western diagnosis of endometriosis, does that help you in figuring out what type of herbs they need? Or is it still based on like the pulses and the meridians and how their tongue looks and all that other stuff? <laughs> yes, to all of the above. <laughs> <laughs> More information is better, right? More information is always better because then I can figure out and narrow it down to what it is. Endometriosis is basically considered stuck blood in Chinese medicine, but there are three pathologic factors that lead to stuck blood. So which one do you have? Is it too cold? Is it too hot? Or do you have what we call cheese stagnation? And depending on which one of those diagnoses it is, you're going to get a different formula because endometriosis is not endometriosis in Chinese medicine. Endometriosis is either stuck blood that is caused by yang deficiency, which would be basically my cold patients, stuck blood that is caused by yin deficiency, that would be my hot patients, and then stuck blood that is caused by qi stagnation, that would be my super stressed out, anxious, you know, type A types. So with the diagnosis of, say, endometriosis, you know, a lot of patients will ask me, well, you know, I know this is an inflammatory condition and I need to be on a diet to decrease inflammation. It seems like there's three different categories of endometriosis patients, but yet it's all inflammatory. Yeah. So I'm right. working with the underlying imbalance. But remember, this is a holistic approach. Yeah. So absolutely. I put my patients on prenatals. I'm like, I want you to take this prenatal. And the reason I suggest this one is because it also has fish oil in it. Everybody's in inflammation. Everybody's diet is garbage. We're all stressed out, right? All this <laughs> stuff causes inflammation. So yes, there's the overall generic, let's reduce all of your inflammation. On that foundation, I'm like, okay, now let's talk about what we can do specifically in terms of dealing with the endometriosis with your particular type. I tell my patients, think of your health and fertility as a pyramid. Your fertility is at the top of the pyramid. It's sitting on the rest of what's happening. If the bottom part of your pyramid is not doing well at all, 
there's no way we're going to get to the top of the pyramid. You just can't get there. Your body isn't going to get there. So if I have them eating better and I have them taking supplements that are going to help with inflammation or, you know, I have some specific Western supplements that help systemic enzymes and they help chew up the, the endometriosis. You know, there are certain supplements that help balance the endometriosis. I have them do the Western sort of supplements in addition to the Chinese medicine herbs, because all of it is sort of works together to help unclot the blood, make it better. It's like if they're cold, it warms them up. So things move the way they should. If they're hot, they cool down. If they're like stressed out and stuck, it goes better. So would you approach somebody the same way who came to you saying, I really want to do IVF and I want your help versus someone saying, I don't want to do IVF and I want your help? No. They're the same. So how does treatment during IVF work from your perspective? So the difference is that lead up, whatever time we have before they do IVF, or if they're not doing IVF, whatever time we have until they get pregnant, the foundation is the same because we're improving the fertility. Now within that, yes, I'm doing specific things to help direct blood flow to the ovaries and uterus and get their eggs healthier and things like that. The difference between I want to get pregnant naturally and I want to do IVF when I'm dealing with a patient who's on herbs is when I, I want to get pregnant naturally and I don't want to do IVF, they're on herbs until I can get them pregnant. If they're doing IVF, however, I personally stop the herbs once they start doing the stim medication, because I feel like at that point, the reproductive endocrinologist, you, is the <laughs> primary doctor, okay? There is enough variability and there's not enough studies, at least not the ones that are accessible in English. There's probably a lot in Chinese, but there's not enough studies that make me feel confident that the herbs that I'm prescribing aren't going to potentially interfere with what the meds are doing. So I tell my patients, the reproductive endocrinologist gets two shots at this, okay? It's like, we will do, I, I still absolutely do acupuncture. I highly, highly recommend. I usually have them come in for acupuncture at least twice during retrieval because I want their bodies responding to the medication. So the acupuncture helps them respond to the medication, but I don't use the herb because I don't want to interfere. If I have a patient who's had two IVF retrievals and they're on their third one, I'll prescribe herbs. Because at that point I figure, look, it's like, just IVF aren't doing what we want them to do. So let me, let's go for broke and let me add in my herbs. Now there are certain herbs I would not use. So for example, I would not use any of the thinning blood moving herbs because I don't want to create any sort of bleeding problems, but the herbs that I use to help like improve chi, give them more energy that help that we call Jing that actually help there's a really lovely little herb called Tusitsa, which they've done a lot of studies on it in China, but it actually improves ATP. It increases the amount of ATP available in the egg. It improves camp levels. I mean, it just does all sorts of really cool, awesome things. So every single one of my fertility patients is on that herb at the appropriate time of the cycle. I think I need some of that. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> right. You know, and everybody knows ginseng. And But, you know, ginseng in Chinese medicine, it's like we don't just distribute it you know, indiscriminately, it's like, it's only for a certain class of people because it's a medicinal. These herbs are medicinals. You take medicine when you need it for the particular condition that you have. So yeah, in that case, I would probably give them two sits up because I know it's going to improve the quality of the egg, you know, and hopefully keep it going because really it's not just about the retrieval. It's like, can it go the distance to day five? <laughs> it's like, That's right. And especially if I have a patient 
who has repeated failure to get any blasts. Oh yeah, she's going to be on two sits up. Maybe has a little coenzyme Q10 sprinkled in there or something. <laughs> oh, all my patients are on CoQ10 too. Oh good. I like CoQ10. It's like Chinese CoQ10. Right? <laughs> <laughs> are there any of these things that we would find naturally in a Western diet at all? Some of them, yes. The ones that are like berries. That's a great question, Carrie. So gojitsa, also known as... Goji berries, right? Yeah, goji berries. Yeah, we've been using that for ages because it's really good for tonifying the kidneys. And in Chinese medicine, the kidneys, this is Chinese physiology, y'all, not Western physiology. Um, (laughs) The the kidneys are the source of the energy, um, especially for eggs, because the kidneys control potential and growth and development. And what is an egg but potential that needs to grow and develop? We do the goji berries, peppermint a lot to help cool off my patients who are running too hot. I actually have an herbal blend that I use for men. Let's not forget the men. I was going to ask, do you do anything for sperm? And do you put the guys on meds while you're putting their partners? I do. And just in case anybody ever wants to know, because we didn't talk about this in the acupuncture part, we're not going to needle your junk. We're not (laughs) interested in the junk. (laughs) And that's why we're called Fertility Docs Uncensored, right? Yes. I knew I could get away with that here. How many guys come in thinking that you're going to poke needles in their parts? None of them, because usually it's the wife that calls me and I tell her to tell him because she's the one that's telling him to come in that I'm not going to need his junk. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> so I put men on herbs and it's it's actually like a 50-60 shot for me. Okay. The problem is, is just like when y'all put men on Clomid, we don't know if it's made a difference for 70 to 80 days because there's no way to tell in between. I need the same thing you do. I need a sperm analysis. So at the end of it, if we're getting a good bump up, I'm like, let's keep going until we get to where we want to go. Now, the interesting thing about the herbs is that I cannot, with any kind of confidence, put somebody who is going to be P-tested, that would be primarily people who are working for the U.S. military, on herbs. Because I don't know what's going to pop positive. They screen for so many drugs on those talk screens. And it's a federal crime to have a P-test come back. I mean, that's your career. It's jail. It's all sorts of stuff, right? Wow. So, So I have a herbal formula that I give to men in the military that is all food herbs. So it's basically sweet potatoes and the goji berries and peppermint if they run hot and a few other things. I haven't, I can't think of it, but I am very, very cognizant of the fact that if I've got people who have to like pass a P test, I have to be able to say it wasn't me. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So that's a really important thing to remember is that herbs have millions of compounds in them. We don't know how they're going to show up in these tests. For women too, obviously, right? Yeah, exactly. And women in the military, it's like they get the same thing. It's like they'll get my food grade herbs, but those are the women and the men in particular, it's like you got to do acupuncture because if I can't use my high powered, I'm like, and there's more than one time I've got a few patients that I'm working with right now and I'm like, oh, I want to put you on herbs. But I won't. So yeah, anybody who's working in the military or anything like that, they probably should not take the herbs. So, and like I said, I will do herbs during a third retrieval, but the idea is to build the best eggs that we can so that then y'all can do your job. Are there any herbal equivalents that you give that are kind of the equivalent of Xanax in the sense of helping to calm people down and take that edge of their anxiety down? Yeah, we actually have a whole category of herbs called calm spirit herbs. One of them you would recognize, it's called Muli. 
And Muli is actually calcium shell. So it's basically calcium and, you know, calcium and magnesium are really critical for helping people calm down. A lot of my patients are calcium and magnesium deficient. Their nervous system is firing like crazy. And when I put them on calcium and magnesium supplements, because that's the fastest way to do it, they'll settle down. Hmm. Yeah. Like I have a, an herb that's called Swanzao Ren and Ren means seed. So it's the seed of some plant and it calms the heart. That's actually the action. It calms the heart, which I love, but it also augments liver blood. And the reason this is a fantastic herb for Chinese medicine is because Liver blood is the blood that goes to the uterus because in our physiology, the liver meridian controls cycles and timing and blood and liver blood in particular is the blood that helps out the uterus. So a lot of my patients who are anxious will have some formula that has either a little bit of ginseng, a little bit of Swanzao Ren, some other things. But here's the thing. If somebody comes in and they're really anxious, I still have to differentiate. I have to do a differential diagnosis for why they're anxious because both women that are really cold and women that are really hot will get really anxious. So for me, that makes a difference because if they're running hot, I mean, how grumpy do you get when you're hot? <laughs> so what I'll do is I'll have herbs that help calm the heart, but then I'm dealing with the bigger issue of, yeah, you're too hot. Let's cool it down. And then you won't be so anxious. And so, or if I've got a woman who's really, really cold, I'll warm things up. And because her body's like, oh, I'm, I'm warm again. I have everything that I need. That plus a little bit of calm spirit herbs will help her settle down too. Again, it's a difference between Western medicine, which says, oh, you're having anxiety here, have this pill. We're like, oh, you're having anxiety. Hmm, what's creating the anxiety? We'll do a differential diagnosis and then we'll give it to you in addition to the herbs that might specifically help calm the heart. Such a different thought process and how everything is delineated. But you know, actually, there's a lot that we have in common because you know we may not say it's a pyramid and fertility is at the top, but we still talk about you need to work on your weight. You need to stop smoking. And hypothalamic amenorrhea is a condition where I, we sort of the, say the same thing. Your body doesn't have enough nutrients to get you through the winter and your body doesn't think that you're going to be able to survive with a pregnancy. Kind of what you tell some of your patients. So Carrie and I have talked about this. <laughs> I love talking to my patients about what they're eating and holding them accountable and cheering them on when they're eating better. And they're in my office every week and they know I'm going to ask and I will have them come in. <laughs> they'll come in and they'll go, I had cookies this weekend. I was like, did you enjoy them? Yes. Are you going to do it again? No, it was just my cousin's birthday. And I'm like, great. Cause you know, my rule, I have a rule. I have a rule. It's like, this is how often you're allowed to cheat during the year because the, the really important things I'm like splurge, cheat, have a good time, enjoy yourself. None of these stupid rules. Right. But in your day to day, I, you know, you need to decide is the cookie worth what it's going to do to you. So I do the accountability thing and I love it when they come talk to me and they're like, oh my gosh, I feel so much better because I actually ate breakfast all last week. Awesome. Carrie's like, I would rather die than health counsel my parents, my patients. <laughs> it's not that I would rather die. It's that I will die because there are not that many hours in the day and mine are like chock full. That's true. And the thing is, is that I have way more time. We have way more time with our patients than y'all do. It's the same comparison as even our time frame compared to what an OB-GYN has because OB-GYNs are working on a 10-minute schedule. Well, we definitely have more than that, but you're in on a different level as well. I generally work with each patient for about 45 minutes. Not all of that is FaceTime, but the thing is, is that I will track. I have a whole sheet. You know, tell me about what you ate for breakfast. Tell me what you did for dinner. Tell this, that, and the other thing. And because they're not only being held accountable, but I'm celebrating with them. When they did well, yeah. Yes, 
then they're like, oh, I feel better. When you change something, you forget how lousy you felt before you change it. But I'll say, do you remember when you came in and you were telling me you had hot flashes and night sweats and you were always anxious and you weren't sleeping particularly well? And I was like, how are you doing with all that? And they're like, oh, I don't have any of that anymore. <laughs> but it's like, I can say, look, see this chart, see where it was doing this before. And now it's doing this. And it's like, this is the difference. So with most of us, we do a good chunk of health coaching Again, looking at it from a holistic point of view, because we want the whole body to be healthy because we have to use the whole, our instrument is the body to get to the eggs. We can't separate it all out. So that's why it's different. And it's especially true when I have patients on herbs because the herbs are physiologically active and the herbs are making changes. They are forcing changes. Acupuncture is basically working with the brain and the nervous system. The herbs are pushing a change that the body may not want to go that direction. These are physiologically active. And I absolutely insist on check-ins with these because I need to know that it's doing what I want it to do. And it's not having any unanticipated side effects because there sometimes are side effects. Sometimes I get the formula wrong. And if I get the formula wrong, I tell my patients suffering is not part of this process. Please text me. And they'll be like, you know, blah, 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 blah. I feel terrible. And I'm like, stop the herbs, stop the herbs, bring them back in, come in. Let me figure out, you know, what it is. And sometimes it's just, I push too fast and I gave them too many herbs too fast. And sometimes it's like, then they'll say something and I'll be like, Oh wait, this Oh yeah, I I missed. I needed that piece. Yeah, that happens to us too sometimes. <laughs> I call them doorknob moments when you've got your hand on the doorknob and you're about to walk out, and they're like, "Oh yeah, by the way, insert huge piece of information that causes all the puzzle pieces to click into place." And then you go and you sit back down and you're like, okay, let's have this whole conversation all over again. It's the same, especially with the herbs. And that's why it's so important to work with a practitioner who knows the herbs, who knows what to do, who's tracking what's going on with the herbs, because we are pushing your body into a direction that it's not necessarily wanting to go as fast as we want it to go. So I need to know it's okay. And that's why it's important. As final words of advice, what would you tell patients who are thinking about doing herbal medicine, approaching that part of fertility treatment? Please don't buy it online. <laughs> <laughs> don't look on Google and don't buy it online, right? <laughs> yeah, because just because something worked for somebody else doesn't mean it'll work for you because your diagnosis might be different. Remember, we do a differential diagnosis. We diagnose in Chinese medicine. It's not all the same thing. So you need to take the herbs that are the ones that your body need in this situation. And so that's why you need to work with a practitioner who is comfortable working with herbs and comfortable working with fertility. Because we want to help you, but just buying it online because, well, that looks like it might be me. You may not have the training. You may get a doorknob moment where it's like you missed a whole piece that's actually important, but you didn't know it was important. So please work with a practitioner who's experienced and knows what they're doing. That's good advice. All right. Well, thank you so very much. And this is Dr. Lisa Grant. And tell our listeners, last time we had talked, you you have an online program as well. And you're giving our listeners a gift as a part of that. I am. So um, I have an online, basically, fertility improvement and coaching program. It's completely automated. So, um, And if you go to drlisagrant.com backslash fertility docs uncensored, and that'll take you to the program, you need to enter the code fertility docs. And if you enter the code fertility docs in that, you will get 20% off of the online program, which is basically everything that my patients learn how to do to help improve their fertility that they have control over. Awesome. Very cool. 
This has been delightful. Thank you so much. You're really great fun to hang out with. This has been wonderful. I've learned so much. <laughs> it's really fabulous because it's a whole other branch of medicine that we just don't deal with. And so it's nice to just sit and listen and learn. So everybody thinks that we're in opposition. We're not. No, it is complimentary. I have plenty of patients who I know I'm not going to be able to do it on my own. And I'm so happy that I can say, yay, I've got, you know, I've got, you know, reproductive endocrinologists that I can refer to because I've gotten you as far as I can go. And now we can take the next step and maximize the likelihood it's going to happen. So we make a good team. Yeah, it's pretty fabulous. This is great. All right. So to our audience, thank you so much for listening. Be sure to tune in next week for more. Be sure to subscribe, leave us a review in iTunes. We would love to hear from you. Um, We're on Instagram and Facebook. So hop on by, leave us a like, leave us a follow and say hello. You can also visit fertility.sensor.com to submit specific questions you have about infertility. All questions will be answered on the podcast anonymously for the Ask the Doc segment. So don't hold back. We will have episode ideas as well. So let us know what you're thinking and when to hear. And as always, this podcast is intended for entertainment and is not a substitute for medical advice from your own physician. All right. We'll talk to you soon. Bye. 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 Bye.